Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I don't think I'm going to, uh, if somebody can turn this off, I won't need this. As some of you know, thanks, Sebastian. We announced it last night very briefly. I was given two minutes to uh, introduce everything. And uh, I didn't have a chance to tell the rest of the story. So this morning, we're going to actually pray for Dr. Keish. His wife, Brenda, who's a good friend of mine also. Dr. Keish is one of my professors at Andrews University. Brenda's mother had a double stroke this week. And so Dr. Keish uh, called Phil, Philip Mills to let him know that he could not make it. And last night, we announced that. Were you there last night? Who was there last night when we announced it? About half of you. Uh, so we announced it last night, Dr. Keish cannot make it, and therefore I was asked just less than 48 hours ago to substitute. My name is Ron Dupre. I'm supposed to do the last two sessions. That's on Friday. So I'm filling in for four sessions today. Um, I'm a substitute, and uh, if you need to go to another session, I won't feel bad, but I just want you to be aware of that. So we'll pick up from where we are here today. I did ask somebody, Ashley said she was going to make uh, copies of something for me. It's here. I've got it here. So, uh, but we will continue with the session as we announced it last night because of the uh, change in our plans. Could you bring that pulpit for me around here if you don't mind? You guys going to help each other there. So, um, as I said, I'm just filling in for Dr. Keish, and uh, you know, this is unfortunately a change that uh, we couldn't avoid. Those things do happen, and so uh, I'm going to just uh, start here. We'll begin with a prayer. Again, apology if you need to go somewhere else, that's okay. I won't feel bad, but I want to share with you. Um, okay, thanks guys. I appreciate it. All of these cores and everything brings me a little closer to everybody. So, um, let's begin then with a prayer with your under understanding now that uh, I am not Dr. Keish, I'm Dr. Dupre, so let us pray together. Holy Father, thank you for the time we can spend here now considering important issues so that each one of us, by your grace, through your power, and to your glory only, will make wise, correct, compassionate, Christ-centered scriptural decisions in our lives. I pray that you bless each one of us as we take time to reflect here together today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. One thing I do at the beginning of my first session is to sing a song, and that gives people time to find where they're going. And uh, so we'll just sing this song through once, and we might have a chance to do this later on as well. And then I've got something I want to share with you um, uh, before we get into thinking very carefully about uh, matters. Now, some of you might have heard this song before. If you do, sing it with me. It's an echo song, and I'll lead the way. Now, not everything is very easy, so listen carefully and do exactly what I do. Thy word have I hid Deep down in my heart Good That I might not sin Against thee my God Open thou mine eyes That I may behold Great things in thy law So shall I keep it continually. I thought you'd get stuck. Ah. You see, echo songs are easy. People say, ah, we can do it. Ah, this is a tricky one intentionally so that you can learn to listen while you speak. Ah. Sometimes you have to do that when you're a Christian. Isn't that true? Yes. Okay. When you're speaking, listen to the Lord. And by the way, He does wonderful things when you're doing that. When you're sharing with somebody and you say, Lord, I need help. And you keep talking and God speaks as he speaks to your heart. So let's do it one more time. Let's finish the song. And then I've got something I'm going to hand out to you right here. And I brought some pens and pencils for those who might not have brought one today. You might not have known. You're going to start this session with a test. Okay, we'll do this song through once. Ready, one more time. Thy word have I hid Deep down in my heart That I might not sin Against thee, my God, open the mine eyes that I may behold great things in thy 
law, so shall I keep it continually good. Thy word is a lamp, a light to my path. The law of thy mouth is better than gold. Oh, I love thy law. It's my meditation. I delight myself in thy statutes, O Lord, and rejoice in thy way. Amen. You folks did quite well for a first time through there. Okay, I thought I would start today. As I said uh, last night, I announced that the topic was um, mind games of the great deceiver. And in order to do that, I wanted to start by challenging your thinking. And so what I'm going to do, how many of you need a pen or a pencil? Pencil. And since this is a, a session in ethics, uh, are you listening? <clears throat> Those of you who raised your hands, you are expected to return the pen or pencil. Okay, uh, especially since some of them do cost two or three dollars. These some of these electronic pencils. So I, I'm going to ask if you can hand these out to those who will be returning them. If you need one, <laughs> I would like them back. Okay, I can't lend you this one. I think my wife got this for a birthday or something. One of these nice-looking pens, you know. So other than that, uh, please return the pen, uh, and uh, I'm going to have. Uh, um, uh, help, what's your name? He, he, Yomi again. Yomi's going to hand these out and somebody else, two of you guys, Fra Frank, uh, one on each side uh, or even some more of you guys hand this out quickly and as you hand this out and bring the extras back please, uh, bring the extras back, as you get these don't start reading, do me a favor, flip it upside down, oh hand it up upside down so that nobody can look. Uh, I'm going to test you guys to be <clears throat> upside down only, don't look yet because as they are handed out upside down I need to just talk with you a few minutes here as as we start, because we're going to go quite rapidly here. Um, have you ever heard, uh, uh, some of you are looking, don't look yet, don't look yet, keep it, keep it covered, keep it covered, face down. Have you heard, uh, there's a book that came out some years ago, it was called Lexicon of um, Intentionally, listen carefully, those who like anagrams, Lexicon of Intentionally Ambiguous Recommendations. What does it spell? Lexicon of Intentionally Ambiguous Recommendations. Liar. Liar. You're right. Liar. And the book is funny. Unfortunately, some people might take it seriously. Now, don't look at these yet. Thanks, guys. Keep it, keep it covered. But this is what they said. For example, if you want to write a recommendation to somebody, and by the way, he worked for you, and he was a terrible worker, and, and, and you've you got to write a recommendation, and you're afraid. If you write a terrible one, later on, he might find that out because he never got the job, and he'll sue you for defamation of character. But the company that hires him might sue you for giving a false recommendation. So what do you do? You're caught either way. So this book recommends you say this. For example, to describe someone who is just not worth hiring, you might say, no salary would be too much for him. Did you get that? Ah, think about that. To describe someone who rarely shows up for appointments, you can say, a man like him is hard to find. Uh, okay, if you want to portray someone who is always critical, uh, you can say this, her input was always critical. Let me give you a couple more. A lazy person, how would you characterize her? You'd say, You'll be very fortunate to get her to work for you. <laughs> uh, if you want to depict someone who is uh, best suited for janitorial type of work, you can say, if I were you, I wouldn't hesitate to give her sweeping responsibilities. <laughs> Do you get the way language can be played with? One of my favorites is this one. To describe a candidate who is certain to foul up any project, you can say, I am sure that Whatever he undertakes, no matter how small, he will be fired with enthusiasm. <laughs> anyway, language, you see, folks, language, you can play games with language. So now, turn that sheet over. By the way, I want somebody to sit in the back and hand any out to those who come late. Frank, could you sit in the back for me there? For, with this, only, only this session we're going to do that. Uh, let's go through this together. The best way is if I read it and you answer them as we go through. Now, I'm not going to give you a lot of time to think it through, so don't start yet. Now, notice, we'll start at the beginning because sometimes these issues come to you without any warning. So here it is. 
So watch with me. Let's go together. What would be the right thing to do? Carefully read the following cases. Then answer the question by circling either yes or no. Please don't be like some people. They circle in between yes and no. I'm not sure what to do. Okay, that's not acceptable today. For today's session, you circle either yes or no. Even if it's 50.0001%, that's, that's yes, okay? If it's 49.999, that's no. You follow what I'm saying? Okay, either yes or no. So here, now notice, please consider each situation just as described. I have some people who come and say to me, oh, 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 Dr. Dupre, I, I would never put myself in that situation. That's not the question. The question is, if you are in the situation, what would you do? That's it. That's the only question. If in the situation. So are you ready now? Imagine you're there, then choose your most likely response. Let's go together. Are we on ready? Ready? Problem number one. The airplane you are in crashes in a remote snowbound mountainous area, killing almost everyone. Miraculously you survive and find shelter in a part of the plane that remains intact, but soon you run out of food. After not eating anything for many days, you notice that the bodies of fellow passengers have not decomposed due to the frigid temperatures. Question. If the only way to stay alive is to eat the flesh of these dead passengers, would it be right to do so? Take your pencil, your pen, and circle either yes or no. By the way, if you're sitting next to somebody else and you don't have a pencil, it doesn't take long, just can I have your pencil? Circle your own one. Don't see what they're saying. What do you think? Is it right to do so? Circle either yes or no. No in-betweens here. Just what you believe right now. Yes or no. Okay. Question is, what is the right thing? To that's do? what. That's the question. What is the right thing to do? No. Notice, being at the, the, what is the right thing to do? We're in a session of ethics. Ethics has to do what is the right thing to do. Uh, we'll get to the issue of is our faith strong enough to to yeah, yeah. Let's go to the right issue. Yeah, good question. What is the right thing to do? Number two. Number two, while living in a communist country, you as a Sabbath-keeping Christian are required to send your first grade son to the local state school on the seventh-day Sabbath. Refusal to do so will result in him being taken away and adopted out into an atheistic family. Question. If you can find no other way to avoid your son being removed from your home, would it be right to send him to school on the Sabbath? Yes or no. By the way, don't get too flustered. Just answer what you believe is the right thing. We'll take time as soon as you're done. We'll go through, look at some biblical responses because we know that the devil has confused our minds. But let's spend some time right just thinking what we believe is the right thing to do. So don't be afraid to circle it. You're not going to pass or fail uh, right now. This is just a time to get your mind engaged. I want to see what you think you know. So let's go through this together. Number three, problem. You are living in a country that has just been invaded. Enemy soldiers are killing civilians. To fight is to take human life, yet not to fight is to let human life be unjustly taken. Question. Would it be right to join the military as a combatant so as to fight and drive the invaders out? Yes or no? <coughs> <coughs> yes or no? Frank, people coming in, keep your eyes on them. Get papers to these people who come in, please. You guys in the back, I need your attention. Make sure you keep things going for us. Problem number four. Problem number four. At the end of a series of evangelistic meetings in an African country, a Muslim civic leader and his family come forward and all request to be baptized and to join the church. But this Muslim has four legal wives and nine children, ages 12 through 20. Question, considering the potential hardships for the wives and children, if they are abandoned, would it be right to baptize them all since they got into the practice of polygamy before they heard of the biblical ideal of monogamy? One husband, one wife. Okay, yes or no? 
yes or no. Incidentally, these questions that we have here, these 12 questions, they come from real life situations. Some of them are actual stories. If you remember your history of what's happened over the last 20, 30 years, some of these are actual things that did have happened. So don't say, oh, Dr. Dupre, you conjured this up out of nowhere. Hold on. Okay. So these are some of these things that have actually happened, uh, if not most of them. As you'll see, number five. Let's go to number five. Problem number five. You live in Holland during the Second World War. Some innocent Jews fleeing certain death come to your house for protection. You take them in and care for them. Later, some of Hitler's soldiers arrive at your door and ask whether you have Jews at your home. Question, would it be right to lie to these soldiers to save the lives of these innocent Jews? Yes or no? The well-known story of the hiding place uh, uh, comes to mind as a, that's what I'm sharing. These are actual situations. Most of them have actually happened. Some of them I'm personally acquainted with. Okay, so this is the question. Number five. Yes or no? Please answer them. There might not be time to go back at the end. By the way, I'll give you time just to go back for one question in case you struggled with it. We'll be a little grace, gracious here. I didn't answer this one question, so we'll go back to that one, all right? Give you a chance to do that later on. But try to stay with us as we go through. Remember, some of these you have to make instant decisions, and we want to know what you do know at this point in time in your life. Let's go to problem number six. Number six. A gang of robbers has struck your community and are even killing innocent people. One night, you are aroused by the sound of these armed burglars breaking into your house. From where you are, you can easily shoot them with the gun your brother forgot at your house. I had to add it in because some people said, oh, I'd never have a gun in my house. So I came up with this new idea, your brother forgot it there. You know, people find every way to get out of answering the question, okay? So I've tried to phrase these so that there's no out. Let's take the situation as it stands. <laughs> Here's the question. Would it be right to kill these robbers to defend and protect your family? Yes or no? Problem number seven. Problem number seven. Remember, I'm asking you for quick answers because the burglars are there and you're going to pull out the gun or not. So you need to sometimes know instantly what is the right thing to do, okay? So we're going quite, quite quickly here. Problem number seven. You move to Russia after communism collapses to raise up Christian churches. Due to nationwide corruption, it soon becomes evident that virtually all the building materials being sold have been stolen. By the way, I was in Russia when this was the actual case. I was there visiting, I was teaching, and they raised the question, what do we do when the building materials we know is stolen? Here's the question. In order to stabilize these developing congregations, would it be right to, to use these materials? You, you're going to buy them, by the way, okay? You buy them, but you know that the, the, the company you're buying it from has stolen it. <laughs> would it be right to use these materials to construct much-needed churches? Yes or no. Problem number eight. As an SDA, you are drafted during wartime and sign up as a medic. The military law prohibits you from treating any wounded enemy, whether soldiers or civilians, and requires you to wear camouflage gear, gear and to go on all patrols as a vital part of the morale and safety of the troops. Would it be right to do this as a loyal citizen? Would it be right to do this as a loyal citizen? Yes or no? This is a to sign up, it says as an, you're drafted, the very first thing, and you sign up as a medic, and the law prohibits you from treating any wounded um, enemy. Okay, so take the question as it stands, and the question is, would it be right for you to join up there and do that? Number two, number nine, your 12-year-old daughter becomes pregnant after being molested by a relative. Health professionals point out that your daughter is not stable mentally or emotionally and that she might not survive the pregnancy. If she does, they predict that the baby will be terribly deformed. Question, would it be right to consent for your daughter to have an abortion? Yes or no? Number 10, three more. Number 10, as a pastor, you have been asked by your older brother if you would be willing to perform his wedding to a fine Baptist lady. 
Notice your brother is an Adventist. Since it has become quite clear that to turn down this request will alienate your brother and his bride-to-be, as well as their entire Baptist family, would it be right for you, let's imagine you're a pastor, to officiate at this marriage ceremony for this Christian couple? Yes or no? Yes or no? Number 11. Problem. Since you are an only child, you make a solemn vow to support your aged parents. Then you are unjustly arrested and put in a hard labor camp. A friendly guard offers you false identity papers to help you escape. Question, if there is no chance of being caught, I had to add it in because some people said, oh, I'll use the papers as long as they don't catch me. Okay, so I add this in. If there is no chance of you being caught, would it be right to use these forged documents to escape so you can keep your solemn pledge and care for your desperately needy parents? Yes or no? Finally, number 12. Problem. Some Christians in a communist country have requested that you smuggle in several much-needed Bibles. The only way you can do this successfully is by having a false bottom built into your suitcase to hide the Bibles. Question. Would it be right to use this method to fool the authorities and thus get the Word of God to these spiritually hungry souls? Yes or no. I'm going to give you just a moment here while I take my coat off and cool down a little. Because these have been hot questions, right? Okay, we'll take a moment here. Go back. If there's any question you missed, go back, read it quickly. Take a moment to answer it. I do need you to answer everyone. And then we're going to share with you and go back to the Word of God and, and share with you some insights that, by God's grace, will challenge each one of us. And I say each one of us because I've been in a situation where, where in the class a student has raised his hand and said, Sorry, Professor, I disagree with you. I said, Give me the reason. He went to the Bible. I had to back down. <laughs> Aren't we all traveling together on this road? Amen. That's right. So I'm the facilitator. I'm here to challenge you. Take a moment. Is there any question you've missed? By the way, has everybody answered all the questions? Who still has to go back and fix up one or two? Let's see the hands. One or two? Okay, we'll give you a moment here. <clears throat> By the way, something that triggered my concern to do this today was, uh, I just got this by email. I have a couple friends. I might, for, for better, lack of a better term, call them my friendly Adventist theological watchdogs. You know what I mean by that? A couple of friends who keep sending me, have you seen this? Have you, what about this? And so I don't have to do too much research because of what's happening. And one person just sent me this. This is from a professor. I won't mention his name because we're not dealing with personalities. We're dealing with principles. Are we together? This is from a professor, a Seventh-day Adventist professor who just sent, just wrote this. This week, now let's see, this is uh, December 7th, so it's like uh, uh, just last Sunday, he wrote this. He says, I have come to the conclusion that homosexuality and heterosexuality are moral equivalents. They're the same. There's no difference between the two. Wow. How did he come to that conclusion? How did he come to that? He tells us how. He says this. Listen to this. After a consideration of the interplay of scripture, nature, science, history, culture, then and now, psychology, sociology, and pastoral care, a real messy soup in my mind, if you ask me, I've come to the conclusion that homosexuality and heterosexuality are moral equivalents. Do you get the point? When you mix everything up, you get messed up. That's why I call this mind games of the great manipulator. Okay, you've answered the questions. Let's take a few moments now. And by the way, uh, what, what uh, stimulated all of this uh, uh, was uh, I, I overheard one day, I was teaching at Southern Adventist University, and I overheard uh, some student in the hallway as they were walking by saying, oh, what do we need to do, guys? We need to go to the local high school. By the way, this is at Southern Adventist University. We need to go to the local high school and hand out condoms. And I listened to the conversation. It was they were concerned, rightly concerned, about the spread of what? HIV AIDS. 
But the question is, how should we think? What does the Bible teach us? How does the Bible teach us that we should be thinking? So, have you got your Bible with you today? Did you bring the sword of the Lord with you? So, if you did, let's open the Word of God. Let's go there. Our first verse, we can look at a few verses. Proverbs 23, verse 7. A very important verse as we get into this whole issue. And by the way, I know it's dangerous to get into this issue. When I first addressed this about 20, 30 years ago, people called me highly irrelevant. Highly irrelevant? I want to be biblically based. How about you? Amen. Doesn't matter what the culture says, right? We want to go back to the scripture. So let's go to Proverbs 23, verse 7. Give you some foundation. And by the way, this session, today's session one, is the foundation for the rest of the sessions. We're going to deal with other topics. Uh, the second session, uh, starting at 10.45 today, is going to be on music. A huge issue. And I'm going to share with you some, some interesting, fascinating, biblical uh, material, principles, as well as practical things to do on this whole issue of music. Uh, you notice I'm a little bit of a musician. I've had a chance to write uh, several scripture songs, which was the one we just sang earlier on. Of course, I didn't write the words. David did. David the psalmist. Let's go to Proverbs 23, verse 7. Proverbs 23, verse 7. The words of the wisest man. Well, Solomon, yes, but the word of, words of the wisest being, because Solomon is speaking by inspiration of God, and he says what? Proverbs 23, Verse 7, for as he thinks in his heart, what? So is he. So is he. Uh, Ellen White puts it this way, by the way, for, for those who are taking notes, it's in the book called Fundamentals of Christian Education, and that book is abbreviated FE, Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 248. Ellen White puts it this way, basically corroborating, confirming this statement that the wisest man uh, Solomon ever, uh, will ever lived, Solomon said, said uh, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Ellen White says this, Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 248. Right thinking lies at the foundation of right action. You believe that? You've got to think right if you're going to act right. You must think right if you're going to act right. Let's go to one more verse in the New Testament now. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Colossians 2, verse 8. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. And I'm going to read this passage from the New International Version. And by the way, my study Bible, as I highly recommend, is the New King James Version. And in uh, discussions uh, in between sessions, I'll be happy to share with you why I use the New King James, why I believe it's, it's the best study Bible available. But I, I sometimes go to other versions when they say in a clearer, contemporary way what the New King James already has. So let's go to the NIV for this one, New International Version. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Paul speaking by inspiration, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on what? Human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on whom? on Christ. You notice the contrast here? It's either culture or Christ. That's the warning. Be careful. Thinking is important. That's why I call this session Mind Games of the Great Deceiver. Who's the great manipulator? Who's that? Satan, the great manipulator. So, let's now go back to those 12 questions because you see, I have people who come to me and say, uh, Dr. Dupre, you asked those questions, but you never helped us to see answers. What are the biblical answers? Is there a right or wrong? So let's go through this. Now, obviously, uh, we're not going to have time to, to answer everything thoroughly, but I want to give you direction. I want to give you hints. I want to give you some suggestions so that you can go home and study it deeper. Are you together? Remember what the, the uh, um, wise Bereans did? When they came in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says they listened eagerly to what Paul was saying. Then they went home and what? Searched the scriptures. How often? Daily to see whether these things are so. So this is the challenge to you. By the way, please don't leave this session and say, oh, Dr. Dupre says that I'm not the authority. What is the authority? God's Word. 
So I'm going to give you uh, biblical materials. And by the way, I've changed my mind as I've been studying and growing in the Scripture. I have to go back to the Word of God every time, back to the Bible. Because my mind, your mind, must be transformed. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth, Jesus says in John chapter 7. So we've got to go back to the Word of God. So the first question is, what do we do with that first problem? Uh, let's go back to problem number one. Problem number one, we're not going to have a chance to read all the questions, but let's review. Notice the question. If the only way to, say, to stay alive is to eat the flesh of these dead passengers, would it be right to do so? Whoa! In other words, it recalls the story of the plane that crashed in the Andes. There's a, even a movie out that was based upon it called Alive. I just bought the latest book written by one of the survivors about 25 years later. You remember the story how the plane crashed in the Andes and the guys were actually there freezing to death and they actually did eat their fellow passengers, in case you hadn't heard the story, okay, to stay alive. Ah, where do we go? Open your Bibles. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1. We always want the biblical answer. Where should we go and what do we do? Daniel chapter 1. Here's the story of these men who chose to be faithful to God. Daniel chapter 1, a well-known story. And you know what the choice was for them. They were here uh, captured like these men who were in the airplane who were stuck in a place they really couldn't do much. They couldn't get out of the situation. And notice now what happens in verse 5. Daniel chapter 1 verse 5. And the king appointed designated for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. The, the, the king says, this is what you must eat, by the way. And if they refused, what do you think would have happened to them? What could have happened to them? They could have been killed. That's right. They could have died. So, no. What, what, what are we going to do? We have a choice. Either eat what we're given or the king from the king's table. This would be a direct affront to the king. It's like throwing a shoe at the king. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> yeah, some of you kept up with the news. <laughs> this uh, Iraqi who threw his shoes at the President George Bush just recently. And so, you know, this is a direct affront. And in the Iraqi culture, that is the, one of the worst insults to, to throw your shoes at somebody. This is a direct affront to the king, by the way. President Bush is not the king, you know what I mean. But I'm just saying as an example of this. He's the president of the United States right now. But so let's go further. Let's go. What happens? Verse 8. Verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart. He made a decision that he would not defile himself. Notice the word defile. That's the same word you find back in the book of Leviticus when it talks about what we should eat. Same word. Defiling the temple of God. Don't defile. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 6. Your body is what? The temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Very important thing. And then it says, of course, chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatsoever you do, do what? All to the glory of God. Daniel says, I will not defile myself. Okay, so Daniel makes a request. Defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, notice verse 9. This is the key, folks. Very important. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Notice who gets the credit. God. When we choose to be faithful, trust God. He will bring you into that favor. And sometimes it's only eternal spiritual favor. And so what does he do? He goes to the chief of the eunuchs and he says, verse 10. This is a key verse here, verse 10. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then, here's the key, a life or death issue. Verse 10. Then you would endanger my head before the king. Wow. The man is saying, Daniel, if you guys don't eat the food and you look worse, I'm a dead man. And what does Daniel say? Oh, no, I, we don't want you to die. Life is most important. Life is the highest good. Does Daniel say that? Basically, I'm paraphrasing. Daniel says, I'm sorry, man. I have to be faithful to God and trust him no matter what. And so Daniel decides not to eat the food he and his friends. God provides another way out. The answer to the question number one is be faithful to God. 
And by the it's very clear, we are not supposed to eat other human beings. Cannibalism, uh, a human being doesn't chew the cud, at least uh, as far as I know, and a human being doesn't have a split foot uh, like a, a cow does, okay? Now, I'm not promoting eating beef, but uh, you know the biblical principles for clean and unclean meats. Let's go to problem number two. Problem number two, question about the Sabbath keeping. If you can find no other way to avoid your son being removed from your home, would it be right to send him to school on the Sabbath? Wow, what a difficult choice. What a difficult choice. Keep him home in, an, in a Christian environment or allow him to be taken into a communist home. Let me share with you a quick story and I'll share with you a Bible text after that. It happened actually, this is a true story, it happened in 1972 in what was then communist East Germany. A Seventh Adventist woman was faced with this exact challenge and uh, she prayed for, for God to provide and unfortunately it appears, I use the word appears, because the authorities did come and they took her kid away from her and put her into an atheistic family. Whoa! Did God not answer her prayer? Interesting thing happened. They, in communist fashion, put signs all over the town telling everybody to also warn people, you listen to what we say. They put signs up saying that this woman, was an, well, her child was taken away because she refused to listen to the authorities. When the rest of the villagers noticed the signs, they went to the authorities and they said, wait a minute, this is a wonderful mother. We know her. She's a wonderful woman. You can't take her kid away. Send the kid back. The authorities refused. And then the workers in East Germany, communist East Germany in the 1970s, did the unthinkable. They went on a strike a work stoppage. They said, we in this town will not work until you send that kid back to its mother. Can you believe that? That's what happened. True story. And guess what? Under pressure, they sent the child back. Uh, God has a thousand ways, folks, that we haven't even thought of. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Let's look at what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I'm going to go through some of these very quickly. Obviously, we've got about 20-something minutes here. I'm giving you some basic biblical principles. And as you go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, uh, you know, I, I will admit, again, I used to believe in what is called the lesser of two evils. You have to choose between two evils. Choose the lesser of two evils. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Is that a biblical idea? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, to humankind. Kind. So don't say, oh, I'm the only one who's struggling with this. Uh -uh. The Bible says, come on, you're not unique. No temptation. In other words, all the temptations you suffer, others have had it before. Don't think you're the only one who's going through this trouble. And by the way, the word temptation, perasmos in Greek, that's the word for trial, for tribulation, okay, test. So don't just say, it's not a temptation. This is a trial, brother. No, no, it's the same word, okay? No test, no trial, no tribulation, no temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. Now notice the next four words in my Bible. Read it with, you know what it says? But what? God is what? But God is faithful. God is faithful. Do you believe? Do you trust God? Yes. Notice the rest of it. Who will not allow you to be tempted, tested, tried beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to what? Bear it. Do you believe that? Only three of you do. Let me ask again. Do you believe that? Amen. Yes. Wonderful. God is faithful, folks. That's the key question. Do we trust God to be able to help us through the situation and to provide a way of escape? Always a morally right way of escape. And he did this in the case of this woman. God provided a way out. And she came out of that not just praising God, but the whole town knew about God's faithfulness. That's the thing. When we hide our lamp under a bushel, the rest of the people don't know about it. When we're faithful to God, He will provide the best way of escape, the best way out of any problem, any trial whatsoever. By the way, this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, is the favorite verse of my wife Linda and me. Our favorite verse, obviously, other than John 3:16, you know that. Other than that, this is a wonderful verse. It gives me courage. I say, praise God, He will provide the way of escape. No fear. We don't have to worry about the future. Leave that up to God. Let's go to number three. 
Okay, the question of the military is a big one. Uh, that whole issue is being addressed in another seminar over four day, uh, four sessions actually, uh, not just two, it's going over four sessions. But the question is here, would it be right to join the military as a combatant so as to fight and drive out the invaders? I'm going to actually deal with an entire session on the military. Um, session number four today, I'm going to deal with that whole issue of the military. But to make a long story short, folks, this is a complex issue except for one thing. The Ten Commandments. Okay, the Ten Commandments are very interesting and it talks. And, and by the way, there's fascinating biblical material, as I'll share this, this, uh, this afternoon in a session. The Sixth Commandment, let me just take a quick poll. What does the Sixth Commandment say? Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. I want to see here, I just want to challenge you, and I want you to come back this, uh, this afternoon if you can for session number four, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Okay, let's go there. We want to give you a Bible passage for everyone, and I'm going to challenge you this afternoon in a, in a full session on this whole issue dealing with what's called with military and morality. Okay, what does the Bible say? Now, those of you who have the King James or the New King James, what does it say? Thou shalt not kill. What does the NIV or ESV and others say? What does it say? Murder. Do not what? Murder. Now, you know there's a difference between the two, right? Okay? This is talking about human beings. Murder is an intentional, premeditated action to kill an individual. Okay? That's murder. Thou shalt not kill is a broader context. Which word is the right one? Is it simply kill as a broad thing? Or is it thou shalt not only murder? That's an individual who you, who you hate. Interesting. That's been a big debate. Come back this afternoon. You'll find the answer. Now, if you can't come back this afternoon at the fourth session, okay, you know what's fascinating? Go, if you go back and you study the Hebrew, the word is, guess what? Kill. The word is kill. It's the broad term. Oh, and we'll deal with the whole issue of war in the Old Testament, give you a biblical basis this afternoon, come back then. But it's the word kill. It's not limited to just individual with premeditation murdering someone else. It's a fascinating study, and there's an, a book out on that written by a scholar, who, and it shows that the word ir irrefutably is that. And Adventist scholarship has confirmed that. Biblical scholarship, it is not limited only to premeditated murder. Fascinating. So the answer to that one we'll deal with this afternoon very, very, very clearly and will provide all the evidence this afternoon in one session. Now, uh, Pastor Keith Phillips is doing that over four sessions, but we'll do it in one session. It's concentrated this afternoon on the whole issue of the military. So, um, number three we've dealt with. Number four, considering the potential hardship, this is the issue of polygamy, for the wives and children if they are abandoned and uh, would it be right to baptize them all since they got into the practice of polygamy before they heard of the biblical ideal of monogamy? Ooh, a big question. Now somebody says, ah, oh, it's not so big here in the United States. But you know what? If you read the latest material, including Newsweek that just came out, and we're going to deal with this um, uh, tomorrow, uh, the issue of homosexuality. Guess what Newsweek has? Front cover, the, the religious case for gay marriage. And they start with what? Polygamy. Polygamy is a foundation on which gay marriage is now promoted. Fascinating. Why? They say, oh, in the olden times, in the Old Testament, polygamy was fully accepted. Abraham, David, Solomon, Jacob, these were all practicing polygamists, and they were godly people. And if that was acceptable then in the culture, now homosexuality is acceptable in the culture, and these are godly people that are practicing homosexuality. Fascinating. And so uh, a few years ago, I was at Andrews University. I had the opportunity to study. I did a doctor of ministry, and I addressed this issue of polygamy. Now, I have changed my mind. I used to believe we should baptize all the practicing polygamous husband and so many wives, five, ten, no matter how many, and 30, 40 children into the church. Imagine incredible church growth, right? <laughs> the question is not, is this increasing our numbers? The question is, is this what the Bible calls for? So I had the chance to study the issue of polygamy in the Bible. Eventually put it into a book. I was urged by um, people, you know, to dig into this, challenge to do it. And it's now in a book called Polygamy in the Bible. Make a long story short, guess what? Polygamy is a violation of the law of God. Did you know that? Actually, polygamy is a form of adultery, a form of adultery. Not the kind of adultery for which they were stoned, but a different kind. It's a, you know, not every adultery were people stoned for. Sometimes uh, sex outside of marriage, uh, there are different things the Bible requires for that. 
and this was a form of adultery, and polygamy is outlawed actually in Scripture, very fascinatingly. Um, I, I don't have much time to go into it, except let's go to one verse. First uh, Corinthians. Here's a quick example here. I want to give a Bible passage for each one of these, so you can dig into it. We were in First Corinthians, correct? Let's go to First Corinthians chapter 7. Let's go back a few pages. First Corinthians 7, and this is the New Testament, and there are passages in the Old Testament, and by the way, there are incredible biblical material, there's a lot of biblical material on David, Solomon, Abraham and Jacob, for example, did you know that each one of these men, the biblical evidence is there when we study deeply, that they were called by God when they were faithful. David and Jacob were called by God when they were single men. They were not polygamous. They then slipped into polygamy. Abraham and Solomon uh, were called by God when they were monogamous men. From the biblical evidence, when we read carefully and deeply. And then they all slipped away into polygamy. But you know what's interesting? God brought judgments on all of them. When we read the Bible, He brought judgments. And they all, from the evidence, actually stopped their polygamy. They had a reconversion. And they took care of all the women and children. Fascinating. Did you know that's in the Bible? I see heads now. It's there. Dig deeply and say, wow, they brought about, a, God brought about a reconversion and they took care of the results of their previous lives. The way they had lived before they, uh, when they slipped away from the Lord. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 here quickly. We've got about 15 minutes. Now concerning the things of which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. This is talking about uh, sexual, don't you get involved in sexual immorality. Uh, just to, you know, the, the euphemistic word, not to touch, okay? Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have what? His own wife. And let each woman have her own husband. Is it possible to be polygamous? In that verse, absolutely not. Not possible. And then Paul says, now, did you get what I said? Like a mother who says, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Let's go to the next verse. <laughs> he says, look, I've told you, let me tell it to you in another way. Let the husband render to his wife the affections due her. And likewise also the wife to her husband. Uh, have you heard what I said, Paul says? Let's go to, let me explain it another way. One more time. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own wife, but the own body, but the wife does. Isn't that clear? There's no way you can be in a polygamous relationship as a believing Christian. Let's go back to the Bible and dig deeply and we'll find beautiful uh, biblical answers to these questions. Incidentally, uh, I have brought with me resources for those who want to dig deeper. Um, it's in my car still. I have to bring it out. For those who are interested, I brought materials, books, uh, actually about 10 different books on different topics, different issues, and uh, we will make them available throughout the uh, sessions here for those. And we do that at a special conference discount, uh, just so that you are aware. Um, at, the, at the ABC, they sell this for $20. Uh, it'll be $10 here, just so there are a few copies. I don't have many of that one, because I know that's not a big issue in the United States. But there will be other issues that I will be sharing with you, and I have materials that can help you, resources on your Christian walk. Number five, would it be right to lie to these soldiers to save the lives of these innocent Jews? That question, folks, I've asked in different places, in different settings, in Russia, in South Africa, here in the United States, and guess what? Almost always, 70 to 80% of Seventh-day Adventists say it is right to lie, and about 20 to 30% say no. Very interesting. And so the question is, why? And you know what they say? Oh, the reason we should lie is because life is more important than truth. I was in Zimbabwe a few years ago, teaching about 15, 20 years ago. I was there, and the, and, and the young ladies didn't go to lunch. The guys were anxious to, to run to lunch. They did. And then I stayed with the young ladies, and I talked with them. And I said, why are you saying this? They said, oh, life is most important. And I remember I was in Zimbabwe. And, and a few years before, they had gone through a civil war. And I said, imagine you were working for the government, and you managed to make friends with the commander, the general of the other army. You became friends with him, but you were working for the government. And uh, as you, you're trying to help the government against the rebels, let's say, or the freedom fighters, depending on which side you're on. <laughs> you know, rebels are called freedom fighters sometimes. And then eventually the general says, listen, I know who you are. I told the ladies, I said, I know who you are. And if they tell you that, oh, he said, yeah, you're working for the government. But I, I'm, I'm the general of the rebel army, but you know what? I'm concerned about the rest of my, Zim my Zimbabweans who are dying as a result of this now. I have 
a, the information about a secret weapon that's going to destroy 20,000 of the government troops. And you're all ears, I'm telling these young ladies. I say, now the general says, I'll tell you about that weapon on one condition. What do you think that is? Go to bed with me. If you go and sleep with me, if you go and have sex with me, I'll give you the answer and you can go to your government troops and warn them and you can save 20,000 lives. And I said to these young ladies, would it be right to sleep with a general to save 20,000 lives? Because didn't you just say to me, life is of greatest value? And these young women, all of them said, absolutely not, absolutely not. And I asked them the question, wait a minute. I thought you just said that life was of the greatest value. Here is the opportunity for you to save 20,000 lives and you won't sleep with one guy for one night. You get the question? What is the answer? What does the Bible say? Thou shalt not what? Commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment. Now here's the question. When the Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery, the seventh commandment, these young ladies say they will be faithful even if 20,000 soldiers die. I ask the question. Let's get to the ninth commandment. What does it say? Thou shalt not bear what? false witness. So I asked them, I said, why do you make a difference between lying with the general or lying to the general? <laughs> it's just a prepositional difference, is it not? No, no, it's not. God calls upon us to be faithful unto what? Faithful unto death. Allow him. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Let's go to that Bible verse there. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. A Bible verse to challenge our thinking. Okay, and to trust in God. Revelation 2 verse 10. Stop me, by the way, if I don't give you a biblical passage for you to reflect on, on every question that we're going to deal with here as we go through these nine or ten more minutes here. Revelation 2 verse 10. Do not fear. Don't be afraid of the future. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Fear not the future. Notice the rest of the verse. Go down to the bottom. I know it's the message to the church in Smyrna, but the principle is what we're looking at here. But be faithful unto what? Be faithful unto death. And Jesus is speaking. That's why the words are in red in some of your Bibles. And I will give you the what? Crown of life. Jesus says, I'll give you eternal life if you're faithful unto death. That's what we are called upon. Faithful unto death. Not afraid of the future, but faithful to the Father. Let's go to number uh, six. Would it be right to kill these robbers to defend and protect your family. They broke into your home, they're threatening your family. And the answer is simply what? We just gave it to you. Be faithful unto what? Yes. Matthew chapter 5. Write down Matthew chapter 5. Chapter 5 is a well-known passage, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And notice what Jesus says here. And it's talking, by the way, people say, oh, this is only uh, in some situations. No, no, no. When I read my Bible, Jesus doesn't say I'm limiting it only to some situations. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 44 and 45. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Reading from the New King James Version again. But I say to you, what? Kill your enemies. What does it say? Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Some of you might remember the story, it came out about uh, uh, three years ago, of uh, Brian Nichols in Atlanta who uh, went on the courtroom rampage. Remember that? He shot the judge, he shot the court reporter, he shot a deputy outside, and then he shot a U.S. Marshal as he was trying to escape. He shot and killed four people. And just last week, Brian Nichols was found, uh, uh, was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Anybody heard of Brian Nichols? A few of you remember that story? Incredible. When he escaped that night, um, I think it was March the 1st, uh, three years ago, he rushed into, a, he grabbed a woman, Ashley Smith, took her into her apartment and held her at gunpoint. He had two guns by this time, okay? And he held her at gunpoint. Ashley was a Bible-believing Christian. Yes, she was struggling with some issues. She was still struggling with drugs, etc. She was trying to get her life back together, make a long story short. She says, I depended upon God. She said, I began to tell him and I began to challenge him. I said, you know why you're at my house? She's a hostage by the way, held by a multiple murderer, and he came and he said, turn on your television. She hadn't watched the news that day. And there was his picture on CNN and all over, and CNN, by the way, is in Atlanta. This is just where he had committed the crimes. And here it was, Brian Nichols, multiple uh, murderer, as far as we know. By the way, a, pan a person is not found, is not guilty until proven so. So they just said he is being charged with multiple homicides, and here she's sitting and seeing this is the very guy who's in her apartment holding her at gunpoint. What did she do? Trust in the Lord. 
She talked to him. She said, I believe God brought you to my home. You're kidding. Yes, God brought you to my home. Why? She said, so that you can save more lives in prison spiritually than you've taken physically. Amen. Thank you. I heard some amens here. Did you hear? How many of us would be willing to say that to a multiple murderer? She said that. The guy sat there, make a long story short. He eventually, eventually, he walked out of there with a white flag. There was no more shooting, no more killing. He even said to her, would you come and visit me in prison? Faithful to the Father, not fearful of the future. Don't kill people. Love them to the Lord. Are we together? Love them to the Lord. Trust in God. Let's go to number seven. Would it, uh, in order to stabilize these developing congregations, would it be right to use these stolen materials to construct much needed churches? The verse, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Thou shalt not what? Steal. And by, by using stolen materials, you are becoming an accomplice. By the way, you know what an accomplice is. You can sit in a car outside Okay, if your friends are in there in the bank robbing the bank and you say, I didn't rob the bank, I was just sitting behind the wheel. And when they come running out with a million dollars, they jump in the car, you drive away. Do you get away scot-free when the police catch you? No, you are put into prison, maybe not given uh, 20 years, but you get 10 or 15 years as a what? As an accomplice. When you know what they're doing and you participate in it, even though not directly, you're an accomplice. Even the law recognizes that. Okay, so don't get involved. Don't become an accomplice. Trust the Lord. Number, number eight, would it be right to do this, to join the war as a medic, as a loyal citizen? We're going to deal with that this afternoon. We already mentioned Matthew chapter, chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies. And by the way, it's a fascinating, scary story. I'm going to tell you this afternoon about Desmond Doss, who is well known among Adventists. He passed away a couple of years or so ago. And Desmond Doss tells his own story. He says his first desire was to treat everybody, to the wounded, uh, American and non-American. But we went to, he went to the first time he went to treat some enemy soldiers. American GIs put a gun to his head and they, and they said to him, Desmond Doss, you treat those enemy soldiers and you're a dead man. And Desmond Doss says from that point in time to the rest of his medical uh, work, he never treated the enemy at all. Wow, did you know that? Desmond Doss worked only for the United States military. Read the story. This afternoon, we're going to fill you in on more stuff. I praise God for the courage of Desmond Doss, but Desmond Doss buckled under the pressure of a gun. You didn't know that, right? He tells his own story in the book called The Unlikeliest Hero. Yes. So remember that. He will talk about this afternoon, this whole issue of the medics, because you're gonna, I'm going to shock you about what the medics' primary job is. When they train medics in the United States, you'll be shocked. Come back this afternoon for more on that. But remember, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 says, Love your enemies. Problem number nine, the issue of abortion. Would it be right to consent if you're, for your daughter to have an abortion? There's a fascinating passage in Exodus. Write it down. Exodus chapter 21. Exodus 21, verses uh, 22 through 25. Now this passage, some time ago when I was a student at Andrews University, I had the opportunity to spend 300 hours digging into this passage. Now you don't have time for that today. 300 hours. I summarize it in a nutshell. Exodus 21, verse 22 and forward. If men f uh, fight and uh, hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, the baby's alive, and yet no harm follows. He shall surely be punished for the premature birth, according uh, to uh, as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judge determined. But notice verse 23. But if any harm follows, you shall give life for life. Fascinating. This verse is the most important verse in the issue of the abortion debate. If the baby is dead, you shall give what? In the ancient Israelite civil codes, the unborn was treated as fully human. Did you know that? Fully human. Bible, and this is just one of the texts. There are many in the Bible that show that the moment after conception, that moment, we use the term the moment of conception, this is a fully human. Yes, totally dependent upon the mother. Yes, has needs time to grow. But the abortion, uh, abortion clearly is against God's moral law. Now, please, we're not talking about how to treat people who've had an abortion. Let's reach out in love to them. Many of them are suffering from this, from the decisions they made. I had a young woman in one of my lectures one day respond, raise her hand, and argue against it, argue vehemently against the whole issue of abortion. And about 10 years later, I walked up the steps at the library at Andrews University, and she walked up to me. She stopped me. She said, Ron, Ron, I got to tell you. Remember I raised my hand? I said, I wouldn't forget the strong response you gave to the whole issue of abortion when I did a whole lecture on it. She said, you know what? 
I've got to tell you, about 15 years ago, I had an abortion. That's why I reacted that way. She said, however, I've come to terms with it. I've gone to the pastors. I've asked them to have a memorial service for the little unborn child I murdered. So I understand some people are struggling with the issue. But let's go back to the Bible and say, what does the Bible teach? The question today was, what is the right thing to do? And thank God, thank God for His forgiving grace. Aren't you happy about that? God is good. He forgives us. Let's go to the last three questions here as we round up. Number, number 10, would it be right? Okay. Question, uh, the question is, would it be right to officiate at this marriage ceremony for this Christian couple? That's the question. Should you, should you be involved in marrying the believer with the unbeliever? Oh, the Bible's so clear on that. I, I can't think of that. Oh, 2 Corinthians 6. Write it down. We won't have time to read it. But I can remind you of it. It says, uh, be not unequally yoked with what? With unbelievers. With whom? 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's one of the many Bible verses. We can start from Genesis and I tracked it through. And, but that's a whole entire subject about the issue of marriage. Number 11. Question. If there's no chance of being caught, would it be right to use these forged documents to escape so that you can keep your solemn pledge and care for your desperately needed parent, needy, needy parents? Colossians 3. Go with me there. We've got two verses and we'll finish up here. Remember, we started about five minutes late to give people a chance to come in today as we began here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. And we will end off here in two or three minutes. Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the last four of these four little books. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and verse 10. Colossians 3, verse 9 and verse 10. Paul, writing by inspiration, says the following. Do not what? Do not lie to one another. Why? Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now notice the next verse. Here's the core. Here's the key. Here's the bottom line. Why? And have put on the new man. You become a Christian now. Who is renewed. How are you renewed? In the knowledge according to the image of him. My Bible has a capital H. Does your Bible have a capital H? Of him you are being renewed in the knowledge of him. Jesus Christ who created him. You. How do I know that? Colossians 1 shows that Jesus is the active agent in creation. The bottom line is this. If we have a problem with telling the truth, whether it be so-called small things or the big things, there's a beautiful statement found in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, or MB. MB, page 68. Write this down. Mount of Blessings, page 68. And I'm going to quote it for you right here, right now. Everything that Christians do should be as transparent as the sunlight's. Mount of Blessings, page 68. Notice the rest. I'll continue in the paragraph. Truth is of God. You believe that? Yes. Deception in every one of its myriad forms is of the devil. And whoever in any way departs from the straight line of truth is betraying himself into the power of the wicked one. Yet it is not a light or an easy thing to speak the truth. We cannot speak the truth unless we know the truth. And that paragraph ends with this powerful statement which corroborates Colossians 2, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. We cannot speak the truth unless our minds are continually guided by Him who is the truth. You believe that? Yes, focus on Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Don't be like, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. John chapter 8, verse 44, he is a liar from the beginning. As one student said to me, ah, Dr. Debray, I just got it. It all depends on who your father is. Are you of your father, the devil, or are you of your father, the God of truth? Let's go to number 12 as we finish off here. Finally, number 12. Would it be right to use this method of smuggling Bibles deceptively? Notice the point. Would it be right to use the Bible, the, this method to fool the authorities and thus get the Word of God to these spiritually hungry souls? Brother Andrew's story is a powerful one. And turn to Jeremiah chapter 48 before we go there. We're going to deal with the issue of war later on. Remember that? So just let's look at the first part of Jeremiah chapter 48 verse 10. And we'll deal with the second part of Jeremiah 48 verse 10 this afternoon. Jeremiah 48 verse 10, the first part. Jeremiah 48 verse 10. My Bible says it very clearly because people say, Oh, I've got to do the Lord's work. I've got to be out there sharing the gospel. Jeremiah 48 verse 10. What does it say? What does it say? 
Cursed is he who does what? The work of the Lord how? Deceitfully. Wow, strong words, huh? You, you, there's a curse on you. So don't go that way. Let me share the story of Brother Andrew as we end off right here for our session. Brother Andrew, was, he's known as Brother Andrew. He had a book out called God's Smuggler. And, and some of the methods in his book I, I know are not uh, biblical. But there's one story as he was getting to the Romanian border that I'll never forget. Around page 150 in his original book. He says, as I drove up to the border, I had Bibles securely hidden under the seats and everything. And then I thought, ah, there are only six cars ahead of me. I'll get through the border easily today. This is during the days of Ceausescu under the communist regime. And he says, as I drove up, I noticed the first car, it took 40 minutes to search the car. Couldn't believe it. The next car was one hour. And the car after car, six cars, you know how long it took? It took them three hours to search those six cars. So as he's inching forward, he says, I suddenly realized that no amount, I'm quoting Brother Andrew now, no amount of human stratagem was going to get me through the border today. What is the issue? Human stratagem. He said, I decided I have to depend upon God. And he basically, his prayer used to be, Lord, on this earth, Jesus, you used to make see, a blind eyes see, and now I pray that you make seeing eyes blind. <laughs> so he started pulling out Bibles from under the seat of his little VW bug, and he piled them up on the passenger seat next to him. God, this is your work. This is your work, not mine. He drove up there. Eventually, after three hours, he got to the front of the line. And the guard, he tried to open the door because the guys ahead of him, they had the, pe- the driver get out. They even pulled the hubcaps off. They checked everything. Okay? He tried to open the door and the guard's knee was against the door. He couldn't get out. The guard says, your papers please. And Brother Andrew pushed his papers through the window and there was this pile of Bibles on the seat next to him. And the guy gives him the papers and the guard looks at them and he says, thank you. He pushes it back. Instead of 30 minutes, which was the average for the previous six cars, 30 minutes of searching for six cars, okay, three hours. In 30 seconds, the paper was pushed back and the driver and the guard said, go ahead. Brother Andrew inched forward, slowly looking in his rearview mirror, thinking that the guard was, was, was going to wave him to pull over anyway from behind. He says, but the next car had pulled up and they got the driver out. They began a thorough search. Brother Andrew says, my heart was pounding. Ba-doof, ba-doof. Not with the excitement of having crossed another border, but with the excitement of having caught such a spectacular glimpse of God at work. Amen. That's the issue. Mind games of the great manipulator. Let's be willing to follow God no matter what. Let's stand for prayer. Thank you, Holy Father, for the experience of Brother Andrew. Thank you for calling upon us to do your work in your way. Forgive us, Father, when we have failed. Thank you for your forgiving grace. Bless us as we go out under the banner of Prince Emmanuel to share with others how to live an exciting, balanced, compassionate, Christ-centered, Bible-based, vibrant Christianity so that others will be attracted to Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Spirit, may many lives be transformed and be ready when Jesus comes again. In His name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC generation of youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.